0: to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts Weller and Obehi Alifoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In January this year, UK MP Dean Russell proposed a new law to Parliament that mandates that employers should be legally required to offer mental health first aid training arguing that the move could mean that more people would be able to spot the early signs of mental health crisis at work, thereby potentially saving lives. And that sounds like a really common sense approach, right? And it seems to be popular with uh, the UK public, with over 200,000 people having signed a petition organised by the Where's Your Head At campaign. Lots of businesses of course, already offer mental health training to first aiders, but it's not currently a legal requirement. The rationale is that if businesses are legally required to offer physical first aid training to deal with first aid emergencies as part of the nineteen eighty one health and safety first aid regulations, then shouldn't the same apply for mental health? but some employers and some well-being experts are. A little sceptical about the effectiveness of mental health first aid. So we're going to use this episode of the wellbeing rebellion to really debate the pros and cons of legally requiring organisations to offer mental health first aid training. So should workplace MHFA be legally mandated? Let's discuss. Mental health first aid training, it's been proving effective in raising awareness generally about different types of mental ill health. And that helps to reduce the stigma and also increase the confidence of people who live with health disorders, as well as basic knowledge for individuals around how you can support with mental health issues. That's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 comforting if you know that your employees have at least an idea of what you're talking about when you say, I'm feeling depressed and anxious, and they would have some kind of clue of what they could say and how to approach. It would be great to know that if you were having some kind of mini meltdown in the office, that people wouldn't just avoid you or look at you funny, but more people would be able to come and sit beside you
1: yeah, support you
0: and support you and not ignore you or pretend that they haven't seen it. Yeah, and that's what mental health first aid training should be good for. It, it's good at generally li- raising the level of awareness and understanding and empathy.
1: Yeah, one of the things I like about it is that you don't have to be some you don't have to someone who's a manager or HR because usually that used to be where you had to go and you you're struggling, so you need to go to your manager or HR. And that's still there's still a place for that. I think just the idea of a, a peer being able to support you, this can be just as powerful because again, you're not worried about the um, you know, the effect on your career, you know, maybe it might, you know, affect your promotion, any of that kind of stuff, because you are discussing it with a peer. So mm. I quite like that idea. And again, for people who, you know, it's someone to talk to outside of your household, especially if sometimes it's at home. Mm. That hides the problem. Then being able to just talk it over with someone who's been trained to listen a little bit, but not a therapist, of course. It's just someone being able to just support you and hear you, and maybe, and then of course, ideally, send you to a, the right place to get some support. So mm. that that's the that's the thing I like about it. There have been studies that have proven
0: that MHFA training can contribute to reduced judgmental behavior in the workplace around mental health. And we all know that it's stigma, it's fear that stops us from speaking up about our mental health issues and concerns. And MHFA training has been proven to increase understanding and awareness and therefore reduce that level of judgment or stigma. And that is Everything that you require to contribute to creating a psychologically safe, we keep saying this, but it's because it matters a psychologically safe working environment, a place where you feel comfortable and confident that no matter what your issues are, there's somebody there who will be able to support you. Um, And that leads to higher staff retention, increased creativity, and more sustainable productivity. So, This is a good thing. And there's an example from Royal Mail. There's this story from a guy called Mick who works for Royal Mail and has done so for over 20 years. And he's really passionate about increasing workplace discussions and support around mental health. Mick suffered depression and post-traumatic stress disorder after serving in the first Gulf War. And his mental health issues are known by everyone who works with and around him. Because he discusses it deliberately and with intention with his colleagues, knowing that talking about mental health can help to remove the stigma surrounding it. And I completely understand what Mick's talking about, yeah. having experienced it myself. Uh, when I started this business, it was the first time I really had to come full forward with my story, the warts and all story of what I had. It was confronting to start with, but the acceptance and understanding and frankly the the love that I got makes it easier every single time. And I know it makes it easier for people who are listening in the audience who also struggle with their mental health to connect with people about that topic. So I know it works.
1: Yeah. Um the other sort of argument for um making mental health first aid mandated legally is the fact that it does have evidence that he had reduced occupational health referrals for stress, anxiety and depression by 75%. So there is uh, the evidence to suggest that it will do something simply because um, we already know that in the last we're 2021, 2022, half of all work-related health cases were stress, depression and anxiety and employers lost around 70 million work days due to this. So, I think again, this will help to keep that corporate social responsibility high on the agenda, on a business priority agenda. Um, and again, because I can't forget the Deloitte 2022 report, they said poor mental health costs UK employers up to 56 billion a year. So, mm. any measure that can help reduce it should be examined. It's what we're doing right now, isn't it? Mm. So, there was an example from the Mental Health First Aid England. Case study. So, Tamed Water, I like the fact that they're naming them because it gives us an idea of the organizations who are utilizing this um, opportunity to, you know, make sure the mental health in the workplace is at its optimum for their staff. So, Tamed Water, largest water and sewage company in the UK, um, serving 50 million customers around, you know, Tame Valley in London, right? So, many of their employees work shifts pattern they work by themselves. So the work can be demanding high risk and so what they found in the past five years, they trained 350 um, mental health first aiders which had seen an 80% reduction in work-related illness absences due to this training, which means that people feel comfortable talking to someone, they have access to someone they can talk to, which means that they might get extra support to maybe use the EAP, maybe contact the GP, but something that said there's the first point of contact to be able to express the feeling of loneliness or the feeling that you're stressed or any of that kind of stuff that might even be more if you're working by yourself or in a shift pattern, late night shift Mm. and morning shift where you don't really see people. So that's one of the things that I quite like about that. And then there's another point, which is the fact that mental health first aid training can aid in reducing high staff turnover. A study from the Executive Development Network, the EDN, found that the majority of employees, 86% to be exact, will be more likely to leave a job if they don't feel supported by their employees around their mental health.
0: By the employers, right. Yeah. Uh, And I and I get that.
1: Yeah, I get that. I totally I I think I'm a bit surprised with 86% though.
0: No, I'm not. We demand, yeah. that, like, that we, uh, depending on when this study was conducted.
1: They could last year, I think. Okay, well, yeah, there you go. So the, 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 pand- pandemic the pandemic has definitely. changed
0: everything. Yeah. We, we all know that. what matters most to us. And an employer supporting your well-being and caring about you and putting you first is a non-negotiable. Yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't make make me surprised.
1: No. So, I mean, obviously, it means the mental health facilitator's training would help reduce employee stress and burnout, which would be beneficial for both the workplace and the employees. So we get that. It will also, I can imagine, enhance staff morale and retention. You know, more than half of employees would say that they'd recommend the employer to somebody else if they feel supported with their mental health and well-being. And we can see that in terms of employee engagement and all of that stuff. If mental health first aid training can help people feel safe within their organization, Mm -hmm. um, open with their colleagues, that they know that their senior leadership supports it, supports them, then they're more likely to have, have high engagement in the work that they're doing and will definitely recommend to other people to come and join them. As opposed to an organization where that's not the case, and then we might see them on Glass Door, because we've seen a few of those, haven't we? Um, and also increase in employment tribunals. And a lot of those we found out is about nine out of ten um of discriminated cases are linked to, or disability discrimination cases are linked to mental health issues that would not resolve. Mm. So I can imagine a robust mental health first aid training and other support things around it would help with increased in employment engaging um, employee engagement rather in the workplace and that brings me to
0: my first point against actually and that is that mental health first aid training on its own can't replace the expertise and scope that mental health professionals will bring okay yes. so mental health first training, first aid training, sorry, has got its place. Definitely. That place is in making everybody more aware generally that it's okay not to be okay. People um, struggle with various things. You never know what's going on inside someone. Be sensitive. This is how you can approach someone, that kind of stuff. But it it doesn't, it doesn't provide the kind of 360 um, degree support that a mental health professional like Aurora or any organization, or therapists, yeah.
1: psychologists, psychologists, and There's a lot of uh, professionals that are <laughs> equipped to deal with mental health issues. But I think the point of trying to make it the mental health first aid their job is to first offer first aid. And then encourage the affected individual to seek help with a GP, therapist, so on and so forth.
0: But the point I'm actually also trying to make is it's it's just one piece of a puzzle. Yeah. It is the mental health professionals. Yes, they are the ones who are going to treat. Mental health first aiders are just that. Just because you've received first aid on site doesn't mean you don't also need to go to A&E. You, yes. you still need to go to A&E. It's just the first phase of triage, right? Yeah. Similarly, just because you've spoken to a mental health first aider doesn't mean you don't need to go and see a counsellor or a therapist. That's true.
1: Yeah.
0: But also, as an employer, you need to be aware that mental health first aiders don't deal with strategy. They don't tell you what your well-being calendar should look like they don't help you to train your line managers. They can't.
1: Not yeah, process. it's
0: not their yeah. job. So it's only one small piece of the pie. And that's yeah. why I say mental health professionals on a, on, in a 360 scale, not just therapists and coaches, but the whole piece of the pie.
1: Yeah, and that brings me to the issue that I do have with mental health first aiders who have been trained because... Um, usually they people who want to help, they're experience mm. just like um, Mick from Royal Mail, um, and they want to support people. But then sometimes you can see how the boundaries and lines might get blurred. Yeah. So especially, you know, they want to help their colleagues, they're, they're dedicated to doing that, especially if it's taking a while for their colleagues to get formal help. So mm. with a wait list and the mental health support, you know, for mental health support in the UK about 35 weeks, right? So, You can imagine for someone like Mick, um, he's going to be like, okay, so while you're waiting, Uh, then this person might come. oh, Mick, can I have a chat again? And then before you know it, he's now attempting this therapy-style thing going on there that he's not really equipped for. So that's what I feel like. The mental health first aiders might feel compelled to take on more than they can handle They don't want to say, okay, can you please stop talking to me now and let's just wait Mm. for your GP to get back to you. So I feel like poor Mick and other mental health first aiders just Start to feel, when did they push back and go, actually, I can't talk to you today. You need to really go and get a therapist or pay for one if you're still waiting so long for them. So I feel that's the thing. And I remember that one of the universities, University of Nottingham, their School of Health Sciences found that examples where mental health first aiders were reporting that co workers were contacting them outside. Of working hours, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was very clear there were the boundary issues. wasn't clear what the rules were, and also potential safety concerns for the mental health first aiders. Definitely, yeah, exactly. So that's the that's the issue, real issue, I've kind of had with mental health first aiders as uh, as an option. Uh, with the, it had its place, like you said, but the, the the con here is how do we know when they're going beyond the scope? Because once we have the training, we've been had the training, haven't we? And that's the point I'm gonna make. Mental health first aiders aren't therapists, psychologists, or anything, but therapists and psychologists are we are encouraged to go and take mental health first aid training so that it's a blanket, everybody's had it. So again, it's helpful for me to have been to that training, to be able to go, okay, I can see the basis of what covered, but I know my limitations and but then someone who hasn't been trained in therapy or psychology anything, where is their limitation? How do they know what the limitation is? So they go into a job and then, oh, can I talk to you, Lisa? Like, yeah, of course. And then poor Lisa can't do her job now because everybody's coming to talk to her because she's the one likely to go, of course, let's have a chat. And so <laughs> what happens to mm-hmm. Lisa's day job? Because I suspect it's not part of a performance review mm-hmm. on, um, <laughs> she's going to have all this time to focus on other people and supporting other people. So something. Because an organization can, can mitigate against that time issue, because I was going to bring it
0: up, but you can. Yeah. You can say every mental health first aider is allocated 10% of their work um, workload mm-hmm. to dedicate to mental health first aid issues and yeah. problem solving. Fine, that solves that problem. The transference thing, the transference of feeling and care from a, a colleague who is struggling to the MHFA who's supporting is an issue. That is it's harder to draw a line at because I've worked with mental health first aiders, like Obi said, we've done the training. I, I worked with them in the work that we do. And you're right, they are the caring sort who will take things on and take things home. And the thing that I want to to focus on is who is looking after them? Yeah, Who looks after the mental health first aiders? They're just normal people like we all are mm-hmm. and, They do not have anybody who they do clinical supervision with or reflective reflective practice practice or anything like that. So they can they can be as helpful as they want when Tom comes to them with an issue that he's been having with his supervisor and then says, to be honest, mate, it's been making me feel suicidal. That's going to leave you feeling something.
1: Yes, you're going to take that home. You her. will take it home. And and you're not bound by confidentiality, where she's going to go home <laughs> and tip if I'm going to go home, tell her husband, oh my God, I'm going to give me the day I had, and there's this guy, and he had this, and then it's now her husband's problem. So that the point is, it's just too much to put on mental health first aiders, And the reason why, and I can say this with clarity, is because we've been through the training, so I know for a fact... This training was a few few weeks, you know, a few days across no, the week. It,
0: yeah, I had mine um, in two
1: straight back-to-back yeah, days. I had mine across the week it was we shorter. In the pandemic, that was helpful because we had to do online kind of thing. So there was the aspect of, hey, when would I have known, okay, when am I going to talk to you now about this? Where do I take it to? That part didn't come up about where you took any challenging conversations to. What he said was, well, just... Do the process we've taught you, and move this person along. Encourage them to go to DP GP or call someone for mm. support. But that's not how it plays out in real life, did it? Because, like you said, someone will come back and go, "Hey, about that problem." So, yeah, did you go to DP? Yeah, apparently, thirty-five weeks wait. Oh, okay. So, what do you do now? Mm. Um, and and no, some <laughs>
0: people, some people are better at drawing boundaries. Yeah, some people are. That, that's but the, fact. Yeah. the the fact is you, it's very hard not to care about how someone is doing when you've been yeah. supporting them. Even yeah. myself as a professional coach, I find it very difficult not to care about my clients and their progress. Yeah. Um, but I don't work with them every day. I don't see them every day and they have to make an appointment to contact me. And I'm very clear about the boundaries in my professional role. Yeah, It's different if they're a work colleague, Every day. So, yeah, that's just something that does concern me about the legal mandation. Is that a word? Mandation?
1: I think it is. (laughs) I don't know. Of the MHFA training. Yeah. But I would say, because I I don't want us to leave this podcast without saying, by the way, if you are going to use mental health first aid trainers, make sure you provide support for them. So, I would say it's an easy win. If you're going to already pay for them to have training, Then invest in getting a local counsellor, somebody who's qualified supervisor, to come in once a month to be able to do reflective practice for them. They're not therapists, but they need a space to be able to think critically, to be able to self-reflect on the work, to be able to reflect together as a small group of mental health first aiders. Um, the observations, sharing it, what they're seeing, what the things have coming up, because those things can be gathered to take to the senior leadership about mm-hmm. the fact that we're having more and more people asking us for this kind of support. What do we do? Mm-hmm. So it needs somewhere to help them collect it. It cannot be you, HR professional, now acting as a super clinical supervisor <laughs> to monitor mental health first aiders in the workplace. So please, if you're going to do it, make sure you get outside counsellor support to come in once a month and then support the people who are obviously supporting your people. Yep, good point. The other point I wanted to make is from eh, health and safety executives, to the HSE. Now, to be fair, this review was 2018 and they haven't updated it since. What they really said was that there haven't been a lot of published occupational studies that have sort of tested whether mental health first um, is effective, and, and of course, just like we're saying, there's some design and quality limitations there. Um, but the other thing they did say was that they felt that there was consistent evidence to show that it does raise employees' awareness of mental Ill- health conditions, including signs and symptoms. What we, This is, hands down, the most effective of mental health. I it had brought awareness to people who otherwise not have, but there is limited evidence that it could lead to sustained improvement in the ability of those trained to help colleagues who are experiencing mental health issues, which is of course not their job. But the idea would well, then what's the point? If it's just to raise awareness, what is the point of that? And I, I think to raise awareness means to reduce the judgmental, it allows for safety, psychological safe spaces, to talk about it. So I think that's the main purpose. So I don't mind too much that it doesn't have a long-term sustained improvement of that, because we've already established from the court that's not their job. Mm-hmm. What do okay. you think?
0: No, I I agree. Yeah, but that brings us into my biggest bugbear about legally mandating MHFA training to employers, which is companies, and I'm I am talking about the cynical ones. <laughs> I am but unfortunately i think there are more there are more companies who don't understand just how valuable valuable or important sound mental well-being strategy that is truly effective in promoting psychologically safe workplaces that encourage uh, creativity and inclusivity and safety, a sense of safety, I'm talking about the ones who just aren't quite there yet. There is a risk that those organizations will will agree that if they've supplied a proportion of their workforce to be professionally trained mental health first aiders, that they've done mental health and well-being. It becomes a a tick box Exercise, a Mm -hmm. one and done thing, right? It's just, well, we've got mental health first aiders, so what more do you need? And Mm -hmm. as anyone who has listened to this podcast for the last few weeks knows, that is not how you create positive mental well being in your workplace, right? It is cultural change, it is sustained effort. It is behaviour change. It is not one two-day training course for a few employees. It's just not. If it was that simple, none of us would be still talking about mental health being an issue in our country or anywhere else.
1: Yeah, there wouldn't be 1.4 million people waiting on a wait list for support. So, it, yeah. It, um, yeah, it, it just
0: it just risks people thinking that... That's all that is required to solve the uh, well being
1: puzzle. And it's not. I don't know the mandate in it would reduce that. But I have to say, this is the point, the final point I want to make on this. I do like the idea of mental health first aid training for everybody. Like, in everybody in the workplace does the training. I feel like it'd be more effective. And it would be this kind of my brother sister's keeper type thing. So I, I'm struggling. You can support me. Uh, and you're sitting next to me in the office. Then I don't have to go and find Mary in the next department. You're right here. You can support me if you find me feeling like I'm not coping, right? But because I've also been trained, I know the scope of your limitation. I know that you can't start counselling me. Mm. I know you're not a trained counsellor. Yeah. So therefore, I know I'm still going to have to talk to my GP or get someone, but at least that initial conversation, it allowed me to have it and problem solve. You almost have me think things through. I prefer that as a, a wider support. And one of the companies that did that case study from Mental Health for aid England was a company called Skanska. I through, is huge they're yeah. huge i don't I've never actually pronounced it out of my mouth before, but they're the world leading construction uh contractors and developer, um and their people clearly are hard the to their business otherwise they don't have a business but what they did right, they trained fifty five percent of their workforce so far that mm-hmm. one in two people have been trained so if I happen to be on the site with you. And you're feeling a bit wonky. I can I, I know what to say as mm. opposed to, oh, I don't know what to say. Maybe I have to go and get Bob, but you know, Bob know where to be seen. so I'm just gonna leave you to just sort it out yourself. Yeah. so I love that idea if you I feel like we're gonna do it. let everybody be trained on it. Go big or go home. You know what I'm saying, yeah, <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, that
0: i I can see the benefit of widespread corporate training, but that makes me think also. Back to that one and done thing. Maybe this is just because I've got ADHD, but I can't specifically recall the details at any real level of the two-day MHFA training that I did four years ago. I can't tell you it. Yeah, but to be fair, I think you need a refresher. You and need that's a refresher. my point. Yeah, so this refresher. would be everybody doing this two-day training every year. Or every two, years. every two years. and that's yeah. a And that's a massive commitment.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. For any organisation. And, that, and that's what we're now with the, oh, we've done yeah, it. we've already done it. So already done it. it. Yeah, we're it takes it back to it. it. But it's not, it doesn't help with the strategy. It doesn't no. help. So I guess that's, I guess obviously what we're saying, you know, just to round up, there are pros and there are cons. And it's mm-hmm. about how you're going to utilize this for your business. So whether it gets mandated or not, it's almost irrelevant really. It's just that you as the senior HR and senior leadership team, you have to consider certain questions, right? What is the cost of poor mental health to your business, like in your specific business? What does that look like in terms of sickness, presenteeism, um, engagement? What does it look like? Right? And then what is the return on investment of any mental health first aid intervention that you put in place? How can you ensure that everyone knows the scope and limitations of the mental health first aiders that you have trained? How often are they getting trained or retrained? How can you support the mental health first aiders that you've got? Are you doing reflective practice for them? Like I already suggested. Are you going to do that? How much that going to cost? How is that going to help more people have time to be able to take on that work? How do you ensure that your mental health first aid strategy, you're going to call it that, doesn't become a one and done tick box exercise? How do you do that? So there's a
0: lot there are arguments for and against. I'm still not entirely sure on which side of the debate I, I fall but I'm curious to know what you guys think. So please do feel free to comment with whether or not you think that mental health first aid should be legally mandated. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know what your thoughts are and your
1: arguments for and against. We'd love to hear it. Definitely. We're on LinkedIn. So message us and say, by the way, I think this. I would love to hear from people to think whether or not they think, oh, I think I vote for mandated or I I don't think so. <laughs> We'd Lovely to hear your voice there. See you later, Rebels. See you later, Rebels.
0: Thanks for listening
1: to this episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show note. and generally show us some love.
0: We want to build a whole army of fellow Rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the Rebellion? See you next time.